Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The biggest breaking news stories and outspoken opinion. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Really appreciate you joining me. Lots to talk about today. Oh, what a surprise. When When isn't there? When isn't there lots to talk about? Uh, and uh, we are very much uh, going back to covid Sorry about that, everybody, but uh, that's very much back in the news, not just over these um, uh, just, I mean, absurd chaos over the local travel restrictions that were there, weren't there, no one told anyone about them. Were they actually, you know, were you banned or not banned from travelling into eight areas with uh, the higher rates of the Indian variant of the of COVID or not? Well, you're definitely not now, but there's some guidance, but no one actually wasn't telling the local people in charge or indeed any of the local people who were supposed to follow the guidance, which they didn't know about because it just been put on a website. I think that's fair summary of where we were uh, yesterday on that. We shall see where we get to on that today. We're going to talk to the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps about a number of issues, including that, and also foreign travel, foreign and uh, home travel, apparently, in a level of chaos. Uh, And we're also going to be talking, of course, uh, looking ahead to Dominic Cummings, the Prime Minister's former advisor, uh, giving his evidence to to that joint meeting of the select committees of the health and uh, uh, science. And uh, what is he going to say? And, well, Does anyone really care other than the Westminster bubble? Well, to discuss that and many, many other stories this morning, uh, joining me is Emma Revel. She's Head of Public Affairs at the Institute of Economic Affairs, the Free Market Think Tank. Good morning to you, Emma. Morning, Julia. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, Let's talk, first of all, about uh, the stuff that actually affects real people's real lives. And this is the government's, I mean, frankly, abject chaos uh, over the guidance for people to avoid, apparently, non-essential travel to, to, into and out of uh, eight UK hotspots with the Indian variant. Uh, These uh, largely uh, towns and cities in the north, residents of Bolton and Blackburn and Darwin, uh, and then Burnley, Bedford, Kirklees, Leicester, um, Hounslow and North. Tyneside. Um, the new advice was put on a Downing Street website. Apparently, originally it was there twelve days ago. Then it was um, it was extended to more areas um, on Friday. No one really noticed it until Monday. And it was raised by a member of the public with a journalist raised on social media. Um, and then there was a, something of a hit back from the uh, local council leaders, local authority leaders, saying, well, A, they hadn't been told about it. B, this would have a massive impact. C, members of the public going, are we or aren't we allowed to, for instance, this bank holiday weekend and half term, go and stay in hotels or go and visit, you know, 
visitor attractions in these local areas or not, people cancelling bookings and the like. Ministers forced into retreat last night over local lockdowns. The council said that we've been in local lockdowns, a lot of these areas, lots, large parts of last year, didn't make any damn bit of difference to the overall spread of the virus. Um, and and we, we won't, frankly, up with it, we will not put um, a victory for common sense, I might say, but abject failure once again by the government. Well, exactly. You know, um, at this stage of the pandemic, guidance is probably exactly what we should be doing. It, it should be giving people the information. We should have been doing this all along, frankly, but giving people the information they need to make an informed choice for themselves. And if that is numbers are high in your area, perhaps don't travel as readily as you were planning to before, or if numbers were lower, that's absolutely what we should be yeah. doing. The problem is the government didn't tell anybody. And if you want people to make an informed decision, <laughs> you do need to inform them. That is the it's crucial bit. Apparently just writing it on a website, somehow by <laughs> osmosis, uh, we, I mean, it, presumably that information creeps in along with fresh air into mm. behind our masks as we're wearing them on public transport and in shops. And somehow we, we have that um, information in our heads. But I think this is an absolutely classic example. Again, it's Department of Health. It's amazing how often it's the Department of Health that's the problem, isn't it? Uh, and there's civil servants changing this guidance. And it's all good. And let me just change the guidance, writing it up on the website and, and, and having no concept, no understanding. And it would appear, I think, no interest in how this affects ordinary people, how it affects people's ability, you know, to how it affects their businesses. Um, been seen interviews with people who are running, you know, tourist attractions and farms and like, and people calling up, cancelling their bookings. Um, there's just a complete abject understanding in a lot of the public sector of of how much these these restrictions affect people. A friend of mine yesterday was talking about how, look, she says, you know, we're not we're not planning to go abroad in July. We're you know not sure about whether or not we can or we can't. We'll we'll talk to the uh, uh, travel uh, the transport secretary about that a little bit later. But um, we're trying to book up in England, but they're trying to book a load of hotels in the Lake District. Lovely. Let's you know, foreign tourists aren't coming in. Those hotels need the bookings. Eight hotels. My friend spoke to. She said they were all saying, well, we can't take any more bookings because we don't know about the coronavirus restrictions because this is still social distancing. We can't can't book more people in because we wouldn't be able to feed them at breakfast in the, in the restaurants um, because of the social distancing rules. So we can't take any more bookings, but um, we don't want to be cancelling things. So so until we know what the guidance is, we can't take those bookings. The, the government's ability to hamstring, you know, all these people who are desperate to try to make a living, hotels that lost all this money in the last year, local restaurants, local, you know, local tourist attractions. Um, they're desperate to open, but they don't even know if they can bring their staff off furlough and they don't know if they're going to be able to open to ordinary businesses. And these are exactly the sort of things, these local restrictions, things given out willy nilly, delays in announcing this information, whether we're coming out on June the 21st or not. Will social distancing still apply? One metre, two metre masks and the like. This is, I mean, literally strangulating our economy. It is. And it's not the first time we've been in this situation. You know, there are numerous times over the last year where businesses have invested significant amounts of money in, say, two metre signage, you know, plastic screens to divide tables, um, hand sanitizer, ventilation systems, all this kind of thing. Patio heaters so we can eat outside. And then oh, the I don't think we're allowed those because, you know, climate catastrophe. Well, that too. Um, you know, businesses have been investing significant amounts of money to make themselves COVID secure. And especially, you know, a couple of months ago, the hospitality industry was very proud of, of everything they'd done to get to get up to scratch and consider that they were incredibly safe. Mm. And then they were told that, you know, you can't eat inside at the same time you can go into Primark. So, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a, a disconnect between what the government is communicating will happen and then what does happen. And also common sense. You know, businesses yeah. are trying to get themselves ready. They want to open. They want to have... You know, 
they want to have travelers in hotels, they want to have yeah. people in restaurants, um, but it's, it is being incredibly difficult. And I think that's why the June the 21st, um, you know, end of uh, social distancing as, you know, um, required, you know, if people want to do it, that's fine, that's yeah. optional. But an end of it yeah, being you, you required can, you, for you businesses. Can, you can wear a mask until the end of time. I really don't care, but don't make me do it. But for businesses, it's so incredibly important as to whether they can open and be yeah. financially viable or open yeah. and just about scrape by. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I don't think a lot of people, again, who make those decisions have ever been in that position. They've never run a business in their lives. They haven't got a clue. Um, let's talk about the big event in Westminster today at 9.30 this morning. Uh, Dominic Cummings, um, the bete noire of, of, of Ramonas and liberals everywhere. Uh, the hero for many Brexiteers like myself, uh, but the, uh, I would say, the villain of the piece when it came to lockdown when he did his little drive to Barnard Castle and then let's be honest feel free to sue Dominic lied about it um, now um, he is appearing before a joint meeting of the health and social care and science select committees and uh, led by Greg Clark and Jeremy Hunt now, of course two Tories but who two I mean former former health secretary who they have been actually their, their questioning of ministers over the last year has been pretty forensic uh, over over that time they're going to be talking to Dominic Cummings about what he's been writing in his blog what he's been writing on these sort of epic 4,000 long Twitter uh, uh, threads uh, about what went wrong at the heart of government. His fundamental accusation is Boris Johnson wasn't paying attention. He's incompetent. Everyone at the top of government was incompetent. Note Dominic Cummings was number two, effectively, Prime Minister's chief advisor making most of the decisions. But apparently, apparently he was the only brilliant person in government that no one was listening to, um, even though apparently all powerful at, at that time. Um, that uh, the government delayed and dithered, had terrible health advice and made terrible decisions. Uh, both Boris Johnson, Matt Hancock and others uh, delayed the first lockdown. Uh, that meant that we inevitably had a second and third lockdown. He delayed the second lockdown. It should have been September last year. He said terrible things like, Calling this the the, the kung was it um, kung flu um, and um, and said oh COVID only kills over 80s and uh, he'd rather let the bodies pile high than have another lockdown um, insisted that economic damage would be worse than the loss of life and of course interestingly that will turn out probably to be the case in terms of the impact on people's lives over the years um, but basically Boris Johnson is a terrible prime minister and if only Dominic Cummings had been in charge how much is this going to matter? I think it probably depends who you ask. I think for people in Westminster, it matters a great deal. The fact that Dominic Cummings is, I think we're at 60 something tweets in a Twitter thread now that's been going on about a week, mm. um, you know, have been forensically picked apart. They're, you know, writing articles, what to expect, what he might say, what this is going to mean. So it will matter a great deal. But at the same time, as you say, it's, it's a very complex situation because it's basically Dominic Cummings going, oh, if only I were in charge, I, yeah. I knew everything that was going to happen. And a lot of people turning around quite rightly and going, we thought you were, you know, the Everyone most... Everyone I know who worked in Downing Street was very much of the view that Dominic Cummings was in charge. <laughs> yes, and I think this will show us that, you know, one man cannot change the entire civil service. And I think Dominic Cummings is probably right about quite a lot of this stuff. The government probably was underprepared, probably did make some terrible decisions at the beginning and, and probably throughout the pandemic. 
and we shouldn't uh, disregard that just because he seems a little bit bitter. But I think it is worth pointing out that you know you, he was there and yes. um, I mean, he, look, probably... he, he left in November and he left under a cloud. He basically fell out with the prime minister over you know, him and his allies trying to undermine uh, Carrie Simons, the prime minister's fiance, and Carrie. Obviously, I try, reports are that she was trying to undermine him. There's a battle, basically a power battle and power struggle went on. He lost it and now he's very bitter and twisted. Again, it doesn't mean that everything he's saying is untrue. We know mm. that some of the things he said is untrue. He's written blogs before saying I, I predict there'd be this pandemic and we were badly planning for it that was something that was actually you can see you know he actually inserted that and wrote it after we already knew there was a pandemic I mean you know there are basic things like that we know that his story about Barnard Castle is frankly risible um, I at the time when he I mean I got a lot of grief from an awful lot of uh, Tory supporters and, and, and Brexit supporters uh, at the time of when he did uh, his, his lockdown breach um, I, 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 I said he should resign I thought it was untenable for him to stay in office uh, even though I was a huge fan of virtually every single thing he wanted mm. to do in government, you know, sorting out the civil service, delivering Brexit, all of that. For me, he's genuinely one of the heroes uh, of, of the last 10 years in politics. However, I really, really object as a voter to, to people who make decisions about how other people should live their lives, but not thinking that those rules should apply to them. And that to me is just, you know, the rules are for the other people. Attitude in government is one of the mm. things I most despise in politicians and, and in civil servants. And there's a lot of it about, by the way, a lot of it about. So um, that for me was the, was, was the killer fact for him. But he's definitely trying to make sure that when it comes to the inquiry, he's spread as much dirt around as possible and he's the, the finger isn't pointed at him. The question is, is how much evidence he's got for a lot of things he said. But there's also a concern, you know, in private conversations with the prime minister, as his senior aide, they had conversations where people would have talked freely. Now, I don't know about you, like even if you're talking about, you know, the mother-in-law or, or your boss or whatever, when you're having private conversations with people you trust, you probably don't say the same things you would say you know, for instance, you know, in public in front of those people uh, to a wider audience or, for instance, you know, on the radio or whatever. Now, people people do have private conversations. I think that prime ministers even should still be allowed to have that privacy and have the protection that they can actually have a conversation with someone they think is a trusted aide and it not six months later be on the front page of a newspaper. Now, as a journalist, I love to read it. But I don't think it's I don't think it makes for good government. And it's one thing writing a memoir 10 years after someone's left office or all things coming out in the, you know, the official records years later. I think that's very different from someone thinking I can't say a single word freely to my closest advisors because it will be on the front page of the newspapers in six months time. That 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 is not going to make for good government. Yeah, if you can't trust an advisor in that way, you're not going to get good good advice. Basically, you're yeah. you're not going to get the right people to, um, to speak to, and they're not going to be honest with you if they're not um, convinced that what they're saying is is able to be discussed in confidence. Yeah. I'm also yeah, I have been concerned as this you know Dominic Cummings Twitter thread uh, you know unravels over the last few days that a lot of it is sort of um, he keeps saying things like oh I might say this at select committee I might not I have evidence I may share it with the committee well you know I, I, I do think that if you're called to give evidence to a select committee that's where your evidence should come from yes. I, I, I'm not quite comfortable with spending a week tweeting about it beforehand I, you know, I, I agree with you I think it's I think it's uh, all a bit tacky but hey we're, we're going to be watching closely from 9.30 reports <laughs> obviously as soon as anything interesting is said uh, to my lovely listeners here at Talk Radio The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.